Hey lady, it's Dr. Dom here. If you like this show and you want to make your own, let me tell you about the free platform Anchor. It's a creation tool that allows you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. You can add songs from Spotify and create any type of content that you are looking for. Anchor will distribute it all for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. On this week's episode in Her Space. What have I done to contribute to the life that I'm living right now? And that's the only way you're going to get out of that cycle because if you don't take accountability, you're going to find yourself having the same dance again just to a different song. Today's episode is sure to provide you with motivation, inspiration, or even a fresh perspective. If you have any aha moments or if you feel comforted throughout the episode, lady, please leave us a review and tell us what we're doing right so we can stay on track. Also, we release episodes every Friday, so be sure to subscribe on iTunes and visit herspacepodcast.com and enter your email address to get updates about our live events and all of the new beginnings that we have for this year. Welcome to Her Space, a podcast dedicated to uplifting women like you. We're your hosts, Dr. Dominique Broussard, a college professor and psychologist, and Terry Lomax, a techie and motivational speaker. In a world where Black women are often misrepresented and misunderstood, please join us as we initiate authentic conversations on everything from fibroids to fake friends and create a safe space where Black women can just be. Hey lady, it's Terry here from the Herspace Podcast, and I have a question for you. Do you want to start your own podcast? Have you been thinking to yourself, you know what, I want to start a podcast, but you just haven't taken the leap? If that's you, I got you. I'm hosting a free podcasting masterclass where I'm going to teach you how to create your own podcast from start to finish. I'll teach you how to format your show and pitch great guests. I'll teach you how to stand out in the crowd of nearly 1 million podcasts, but I'm also going to teach you how to get your mind right, okay? We're going to talk about how to overcome imposter syndrome and how to deal with fear on your podcasting journey. So even if you're not tech savvy, it's okay. This masterclass is just for you. So visit terrylomax.com and click on the pink link in the middle of your screen and register for my free podcasting masterclass. Again, that's terrylomax.com. T-E-R-R-I-L-O-M-A-X.com. I hope to see you there. Lady. Today, we have a very special guest in her space. She's inspiring and smart as hell. So pull out your pen and paper and have those tissues ready. King Ashley Ann Jones is a self-made six-figure per month, top dollar earner, a self-proclaimed business builder, best-selling author alongside Kim Coles, event designer, and more. She teaches everyday people and business owners how to make money with their basic skills, which includes grossing anywhere from 8K to 12K per month via live streaming and social media. Recently, she taught a course on how to make $75,000 in three days. Yes, $75,000 in three days with the receipts to prove it. King Ashley Ann, welcome to her space. 
Hi, thank you so much for that beautiful introduction. <laughs> oh, you are so welcome. <laughs> and so now we are going to dive into our quote of the day. The past can hurt, but the way I see it, you can either run from it or learn from it. And that quote comes to us from Rafiki in The Lion King. Now, Ashley, when you hear that quote, the past can hurt, but the way I see it, you can either run from it or learn from it. When I think about that intro that Terry gave us, and I think about what I've seen and heard about you, it makes me curious about, okay, like I need, I want to know more about your past and I want to know what did you learn from it to get to where you are right now? That's a loaded question. First of all, I think that that is an accurate quote and I really feel like that's one of the keys to success. Accountability is everything. And a lot of people that I see, they really struggle with moving forward in their lives and really walking into everything that, you know, our highest creator, whatever it is that you believe in, you know, I believe in God, Alpha and Omega, creator of the universe and everything they're in, you know, getting them in, that's what I believe in. <laughs> but in order to walk into everything that God really has for you, you have to, you know, take accountability for a lot of the things that you have done or haven't done or have allowed inside of your life. And I, I see people get stuck all the time because they would rather play the blame game and they'd rather be angry at other people and fall into victim mode instead of really, you know, digging in and saying, okay, what can I do to change my situation? And I have had a lot of stuff <laughs> go down in my past, you know, and I'm sure there'll be some other things that will happen in my future and I will learn from those as well. I think one of the biggest turnarounds for me in my life, I call this like my bankruptcy period. And when I say everything was all bad, everything was all bad. I think a lot of times when people think about bankruptcy, they just think about monetary. And please believe I had some monetary struggles as well during this period. But I mean, anything that you could think of, you know, that was probably going wrong or could go wrong, it was happening. I had a business partner that had taken $25,000 from me. And at the time, I was not making money the way I'm making right now. So like that literally almost took me out. My ex-husband at the time, his mistress was like harassing me publicly <laughs> and privately. And she was writing stuff on my Facebook business pages and leaving me like negative reviews, you know, and calling me and trolling me and stuff like that. And it was crazy because it, it wasn't one of those things where at the time my ex-husband and I were separated. We were still like very much together, living in the same house. You know what I'm saying? Like I would leave and go to work and he would go and see his girlfriend. He'd make it back home by the time I got home from work for dinner and act like everything was okay. Mm. <laughs> my wow. was depreciating at an alarming rate. My doctors had told me I need to be prepared to be in a wheelchair for the rest of my life. That's literally what they had told me. And then on top of all of that, my so-called friends, you know, that I thought were my friends were definitely nowhere there to be found, which was, you know, very hurtful because there was several times where it, I was up with them to two or three in the morning, helping them move, letting them borrow money, helping them get through their baby daddy drama and all that other kind of stuff. And I like, that's why I call it my bankruptcy period because like literally 
anything that you're thinking, you know what I'm saying, that should be there. It was not. And a lot of people would easily, you know, turn around and be the victim and say, oh, my God, you know, you're horrible to me. You were terrible. You did this. You did that. Blah, 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 blah. But I had a come to Jesus meeting in that time. And it was like, I hate my life. Like I was I was in a lot of pain. I really I know hate is a strong word, but I really hated my life. My life was trash, like straight up and down trash. Nothing. My health was trash. My marriage was trash. My finances were trash at the time, right? My friendships were trash. It was just trash. It was all around around bad. And my spiritual life at the time was trash too, if I'm being honest with myself. And it was one of those things. It was like, I hate my life. I was in an immense amount of pain. I regret it now, but at the time, I, I would literally pray to God just to go to sleep and not wake up. I did not want to live. It was a really difficult time. And just one day, you know, I'm in the house on the bathroom floor, you know, crying my eyes out, probably hadn't eaten for days. I'm all distressed. My ex-husband, he was then my current husband at the time, you know, is out with this chick. We had had a big fight. We had gotten into like a physical altercation. So I don't want to be like, I, I definitely have gone through, you know, about a domestic abuse. It's not my finest moment in my life, but it definitely happened. And I'm not going to be ashamed of anything, you know, that I've, that has happened in my life or that I've created or whatever is going on. But I'm not going to sit here and act like I was a wallflower too. He hit me and I hit him back. Okay. <laughs> like he, <laughs> he thought it was, I, I wasn't going to take that. I wasn't going to take that whooping. Okay. But so I'm in the bathroom. Ryan, you know what I'm saying? Being a baby. Oh my God, I can't believe this is happening to me and what's going on. Blah, 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 and all this stuff. And it was like, at that time, it was like, God was like, this is not you. This is not who I designed you to be and this is not the life I designed you to live. And at the end of the day, you know that that, what you're doing right now is not how you get my attention. That's not how you connect with me. That's not how you speak to me. And I had to sit down and I had to have, I had to put my big girl panties on and I had to have a come to Jesus meeting and say, okay, what have I done? What have I spoke? What have I thought? How have I attributed to the current life that I have right now? And it's, and that's a hard pill for people to swallow because it can become very comfortable being in the victim role. And I want to make sure that I'm clear that I'm not saying that I was responsible for any of those horrible things that people did to me. You taking accountability does not absolve people of the trifling things that they have done, right? But but it gets to a point, how long are you going to be a prisoner to what someone has done to you? Mm. It gets to a point, it's not someone else is doing it to you anymore. You're doing it to yourself. You know what I'm saying? So, and you have to start asking yourself these questions like, why have you selected these people to be in your life? Why are you giving people your time and your energy that are unworthy of it? What conversations did you escalate when you could have de-escalated something, right? What missteps did you make? Who are you in the presence of that you know in your heart of hearts that God told you you ain't even got no business socializing with those people? What places have you been at that you know you shouldn't have been at, right? You have to like really like come to terms with yourself and with your actions and with your speech and with your thoughts and you know what I mean? And say, what have I done to contribute to the life that I'm living right now? And that's the only way you're going to get out of that cycle because if you don't take accountability, you're going to find yourself having the same dance again just to a different song. You know what I mean? Like it's going to be different partners, but you're going to be going through the same thing again. And so 
that's one of the biggest things. Like when you were going through that quote, it's the truth. Like there are those of us that learn from what happened in our past and we're able to take it as energy and fire to fuel us. And, you know, it makes you sharper. It gives you a greater discernment and you don't make those missteps anymore. And then though, there are people who that becomes the story of their life and they are crying about who hurt their feelings or broke their heart or who left them or who abused them or who lied on them in 1985. It's like build a bridge and get over it, okay? Like, what have you learned about the characteristics of those people? What have you learned about yourself? You know, what have you learned to do to better your future steps? So, yeah. <laughs> wow. So literally, you just preached a whole sermon in a couple yes. minutes. We can end the interview right now, but I, I got to hear more. Like we got we got to hear some more. Oh my goodness. So it sounds like the one of the biggest steps for you was just like being still, understanding, okay, where am I? I don't like my life, but then also taking accountability because like you said, it's a hard pill to swallow, but at some point we're playing the game that's that's being played, right? We're either choosing to be there continue to interact with these people. And so that was a huge step that you took to realize, you know what, I don't need this. I don't want this. So when you were going through all that, I heard you in another interview say that you were, you know, being abused by your ex-husband. You were also suicidal. One of your best friends betrayed you by sleeping with your husband. My mouth was on the floor, girl. I was like, what? So what were you doing for your mental health during that time? Like, how did you actually be okay? Like, how were you okay? So... A lot of my being okay came from that when I saw how concerned my parents were about me and my sister was about me, that made me feel bad. I know that sounds, <laughs> I know that sounds really crazy, <laughs> but it made me guilty to see that I had put that type of stress on them, right? The people that I could depend on, the people that did love me. Now, you know, I was doing something to hurt them. So I did not like that. So that was one of the things. And I immediately prayed and I said, God, if you help me get out of this, if you can help me fix my mind, if you can help me fix my spirit, I would do everything in my power to never let myself be in this situation ever again. And literally, like I made a decision that instant that I wanted to be happy. So then I got a piece of paper, like real life. I, I still have the notebook <laughs> with it in there. And, then I, and I wrote down like what I want my life to look like what my life currently looks like. And I literally put lines through anything that was currently in my life that did not align with what I wanted my life to look like. And I said, this is what I have to give up. And I did not go have these long drawn out conversations with people to tell them, this is why I'm not speaking to you. Or yes. I, I do none of that. I, I believe a lot of that is silliness. You know what I'm saying? Like if you want to mm-hmm. go, go. Like that's literally what I, I just left. Like even with my ex-husband, like, I've left. Like, I was like, here are the separation papers. I'm out of here. With those people that were my so-called friends, literally the next time they called me, I just didn't pick up the phone. Like, straight, straight yes. up. And I know some people probably going to have a problem with that. I don't care. You know, it was a matter of life or death for me at that time. And for a lot of y'all that are listening, it's a matter of life and death for some of y'all. Like, you don't owe these people an explanation, especially at the end of the day, if they haven't been there, you know what I'm saying, truly to support mm-hmm. you, develop you or help you grow in some capacity. If they, if it hasn't been a mutually beneficial relationship, 
you don't owe anything to that because that's how a lot of people get caught back up. They try and have these conversations and meetings and well, we can still be friends and I'll hang out with them sometimes. Like, no, cut it off. Like people try and make it a whole complicated process. I literally just cut it off. Um, then the next <laughs> doing, every day I was like, I'm going to read a scripture. So I pray and ask God, I say, you know what I'm going to face today? You know what I have to go through? Send me a word that's going to get me through the day. And I would let my Bible fly open to wherever it flew open to. And that was what I held on to for that day. I appreciate that. I think that it's about identifying what is going to work for you, right? Because you said, like, I heard what you said about, you know, some people might not like that, about this idea of just cutting everybody off. And I think you're right. I think that when we're going through something, that's part of one of our lessons is figuring out what works for us. So for some people, it may be that they need to have that final conversation to kind of so they can be at peace. But it sounds like what you're saying for you, the conversation wasn't needed. You knew you were done. This is what needed to happen for you to be at peace, to work towards your happiness. And so you stood firm in it and you did it. And I appreciate that because I also recognize that being able to do that speaks to your strength because that like truly saying, I'm not giving into this anymore. Like you said, that's where a lot of people get caught up because it takes an incredible amount of strength to walk away from that. I don't know if it takes so much strength or if it just takes you being tired. You know what I'm saying? Mm. Like, I, I can't look back at that. I feel like I'm strong now. But back then, I can't, and it, and it could be, it could have been some level of strength, but I can't honestly say, like, at that point in time, I had tapped into my power. It was the beginning of me tapping into my power for sure. But during that time, it was just like, I got tired. It was literally just thinking, this is the life that I want to live. Are any of the things I'm currently doing helping me get towards the life I want to live? Are any of these conversations or any of these actions or any of these places or any of this serving me in the capacity to help me create the life that I want to live? And if the answer was no, it was like, fine, it's got to go. <laughs> so and I, know, and I know for some people that's extreme. But then like when you look at a lot of the people who live lives that are aspirational type lives, right, or what people or what society would deem as successful, a lot of us are willing to take extreme steps. We're willing to take extreme measures. And that's part of the reason we're able to experience the success or have the freedom and the peace that other people wish that they had. I talk to thousands of small business owners and entrepreneurs every single week at this point in my career. And there's a common thread. Like I can quick, I was talking about it during my live stream today. And I was telling people I can like literally identify within 60 seconds of a person that's going to succeed and have a tremendous amount of success and somebody mm. running around in circles. And it's because it's a mindset thing. It's like you have to have that readiness and that desire to be willing to make the shift. And the reality is most of us will not let go of what is not serving us. We will hold on to things that no longer service us. We will hold on to things that hurt us. We will hold on to, you know, terrible experiences. And we play them over and over in our minds. We will hold on to all of these super hurtful things instead of letting go so that way you can make room to receive what is new. And the truth be told, those things that are holding you down, that extra weight, you're not going to be able to carry that and perform 
for your future, if that makes sense. There, You have to go through a period where certain things are shed and where certain things are activated inside of you so that you can move forward and really get what God has for you. And a lot of it, we try and blame other people, but it's really us. It's ourselves. We're standing in the way of our blessings. We're keeping ourselves from getting everything that we want to have. And you can get everything that you want to have without being ugly, without being nasty, without, you know, being a backbiter, without doing illegal activities. You can completely have integrity, be as happy as a clam and get everything that you want in life if you will practice accountability in shaking and baking. Okay. You got you got to shake and bake sometimes. You got to move and groove. Okay. You got to drop a shoulder on somebody, hit them with a turn, close that door in their face, honey, and keep on walking. <laughs> <laughs> it's so powerful. I love it. I love it. It's so powerful because everybody can't go and everything can't go. And I think about like, oh my gosh, I know me and Dom and so many other people are so grateful that God didn't answer your prayer for you to not wake up, right? Because you've impacted so many people on your journey after that point. And I think about what you've been able to do with your business and you starting your business at 21 and then just kind of failing forward. And I kind of want to dive into, you know, the challenges that you struggled with when you first started your business, because we want to dive into the, you know, getting results in business and monetizing. But what were some of the challenges that you faced in the beginning? Because I know that a lot of women listening may be faced with those challenges in their business right now. Yeah. One of my biggest challenges was time. I, I, I had a big struggle with time management and balancing my time, just really being a, a workaholic to my detriment. And sometimes being so busy that you can't even get another opportunity. And then the next biggest challenge I would say that I had was my mindset at the time. Back then, I still was in the mind of I have to do everything on my own. And I kept telling myself, I can't afford a team. I can't afford help. I can't afford to outsource. When the reality was I really couldn't afford not to, right? Because mm. those things were investments. And so once you start using different softwares and programs and you get a, a VA or maybe a team member or you pay for a membership to something, all of a sudden those things become investments and they're actually going to make you money back. So that was the issue. And then also being willing to charge my worth. I didn't have the confidence to quote my prices. And so what I found out that I was doing is I was like literally paying to be in business which was trash, you know what I'm saying? You know, because, because you're making money, you know, so you have enough cash flow to pay your bills. But when you really go back and look at how much money you spent, and then you go and look at the time that you spent that you haven't even compensated yourself for, it was like, holy smoke. So after being in the hole, you know, and making making a negative 30000 or negative $40,000, that will, that will get your mind right. And you'll be like, oh, no, <laughs> we, we can't keep doing this. So that was a bigger thing for me was like getting the confidence to quote my prices. And I was able to overcome that by learning how to educate and inform my clients. So if I, I realized once I took a client through the process and explained to them, you know, what all was included inside of the invoice, the labor hours, the amount of team members it took the amount of research, you know, that there were 30 to 43 vendors for every event, you know, breaking down. These are all the things that have to be done. And then I'm also doing all of these things over on this side to create options for you. And, you know, just being able to like really explain to them, breaking down to them like the average prices of, you know, 
what a wedding or what a promotional event would cost at a particular type of the venue and what the taxes are and what the gratuity fees are and, you know, what your bottom line is really going to be. And then those clients going and double checking me and seeing I was right. After that, no one had a problem paying my price. So I learned how to become better at informing my clients of what my services really entailed, what the benefits were of utilizing my services were. And so therefore, this is what the price is. And you're not paying, you know, just me, you're paying for the experience, you're paying for the labor, you're paying for the product, you're paying, you know, for the rentals, like really getting them to understand what was going on. And after that, I was Gucci. (laughs) (laughs) I appreciate that. The thing that I appreciate most about what you shared is that acknowledging your worth, right? And asking for your worth. A lot of us, particularly Black women, have a hard time with really asking for our worth. But also before even getting to the point of asking for our worth, knowing for ourselves what we are worth. And so I want to kind of go back a little bit and drill down a little bit deeper because you said that like at one point you were like, negative $30,000, negative $40,000. And then you started to realize, okay, I need to ask for what I'm worth. How did you get from identifying, okay, I'm in the negative to knowing like exactly identifying how much you are worth? Girl, I had to pay my bills. (laughs) 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 Really, the biggest thing was tabulating how much I was spending at the venues and with the labor and for the rentals and with the linens and with the cleaning and the upkeep. So really looking at my expenses was the first step. The second thing, starting to tabulate the hours that I was actually working for each client per week. So that way I literally could say, oh, I spend 40 hours a month you know, planning this or organizing this for you. And this is what's happening during month one, month two, month three, you know, so and so forth. Because then once you start looking at it, then you don't have a problem asking for it, right? Then what I did is I broke down because my very first company is an event design and production company. I'm a luxury event design and production company, events by Ashley Ann, and it's still operational right now to this day. So when I looked at what I was charging overall to plan someone's event, And I looked at on average, I was spending anywhere from six to 12 months working with each one of these clients. When I divided that by the hours per month I was, I was working, I it came up to like $2 and 38 cents. Mm, I was like, girl, you underway under minimum wage, (laughs) you know, to a client and say like, this is what you're paying. You know, this is, this is the level of work. And then also the next thing that helped me, and this is going to be a tough decision for people to make, but I teach my clients this all the time. I was actually talking about this in my live stream today too. You have to be able to identify what client you are serving in the marketplace and get comfortable with the fact that everyone is not your client. And a lot of us struggle with trying to help everyone, trying to service everyone. You cannot be everything to everyone. It's not your job to be everything to everyone. I didn't want to be on the chitlin circuit no more. So I made a firm decision. If if a client did not have this minimum budget, I was not going to work with them. 
period. If that was not your minimum, but I didn't, I'm not taking you on. We're not having a consultation. We're not going out for coffee. We're not going to tea. None of that. You're not the client that I want to service. And then also looking into the marketplace because luxury event designers, any type of luxury vendor, honestly, they circulate in a totally different place than somebody that's mid-range and somebody that's chitlin circuit. That's just the truth. They're advertising in different places. They hang out at different events. They have totally different supply chains and vendors, right? They're a part of different organizations. So I started researching and finding out with the type of audience like that I wanted to reach, with the type of client that I wanted to get in front of, I started looking and seeing those people that were already servicing those clients. Where are they advertising at? What online marketplaces are they subscribed to? What services are they offering? What's going on with their packages? What all do their packages entail? What type of price points are general out here in the marketplace, right? What does their level of work look like? Okay, how can I get my level of work up to that standard so I can commit that price? So it was really a multi-step process, but in the long run, it paid off. And I definitely encourage everyone to do the same thing because at the end of the day, you're running a business. So, you know, the end goal of a business is to have some profit. And like I said, you got to pay your bills, okay? <laughs> People are giving you a pass on your bills because you have a good heart. <laughs> they're, like, they're like, okay, that's great. But we still want our courses. I love that. That is super helpful. And I think about one, Ashley, I want to say I started following you maybe a couple months ago. I believe the Six Figure Chick had posted about you. And I was like, let me go follow this King Ashley Ann. And so, of course, I enrolled in one of your programs and you helped me get results in my business. And it was a game changer for me. And so I want you to talk about the power of the free 99. Could you talk a lot about that in your programs and the trainings that we have? So why is that so essential when it comes to people getting results in their business? The free 99. Yeah, girl, I love some free 99. Thank you so much. <laughs> yes, and Six Figure Chick, I love CC. She is one of my clients. She makes me look good. A lot of my clients make me look good. <laughs> I always <laughs> tell people, I'm like, I'm your coach's favorite coach. I'm like the woman behind hey. the curtain. <laughs> yes. I try not to get on the path of trying to name people because I forget that I have so many clients that are out here killing it in these social media streets. Like, it's, it's crazy. We were doing, I've actually... As of today, I've helped 8,003 people make money with their social media accounts. And 585 of my clients have hit six figures and 138 of them have hit a million in under a year. So, and all of them use the free 99 strategy, every single one of them, (laughs) because it works. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. Free 99 leads to pay 99. That's the first thing to remember about it. And it's, it's about being strategic with your free 99. So a lot of people, they always combat me and they go, oh my God, it doesn't work. I got free stuff and I'm getting that girl. But I have some people that took my stuff and I, I'm like, girl, you do it right. Okay. So first of all, there are only three types of people that you should be doing free 99 for ever, period. Number one has to be an influencer and not just any type of, I'm not talking about a social media influencer. I mean, a real influencer, just And I'm not knocking social media influencers, but just because someone has a lot of followers, that doesn't mean that they have influence, okay? I'm talking about people who have influence over people who need your products and services, okay? Who will pay money for your products and services. So they need to have influence over your target audience or your idea audience. The second type of person you want to do free 99 for is someone... 
who can actually afford the product and service so they have the potential to be a customer. So this is who you want to give maybe like free trials to, free consultations, discovery sessions, things like that. A free sample, right? Some, somebody that really can afford it and is going to find the benefit in it. And then the third type of person is a combination of the two. They're the holy grail. They can become a customer and they can afford your products and services. And they also have influence over our audience. Typically, those are the type of people I would tell you, do it for free for them forever, as long as they are promoting and telling other people about you forever, because you're going to get a huge trade off with being able to pick up more customers because their audience already knows them, likes them and trusts them. So when they give you an endorsement, their audience automatically is going to say, okay, you're okay. And they're going to want to consume your products or services or whatever your offer is. Whenever you do free 99 to lead to pay 99, you need to have some structure. You need to have a certain percentage or a certain stopping point with your free 99. You want to make sure that your free 99 gives a customer a result that it answers a question for them, solves a problem, or gets them to some type of desired state. Typically, whatever the hurdles are that someone's going to experience before they get to your product or to your offer is what you want to help that client with. Then you also want to explain to them the benefits of why they need your offer, whatever it is or what your offer does for them. And then you want to show examples. And so once they get in and you help them, you know, solve a problem, guess what? You now have a lifelong customer way to build up trust with somebody is to help someone solve a problem or answer a question for them, period. If you can do those things, people will now see you as a resource. And when people see you as a resource, now they want to come and buy things from you. Wow. Dom, that was <laughs> there you have it, <laughs> right? <laughs> that's, the that's a couple other steps in between there, but that's, that's the overview. <laughs> wow. That was game. And so, and I appreciate that. Here's a question that I have about like how you identified the three different types of people that you want to work with, right? Mm -hmm. So one thing that I know that I think about and I know that other folks think about is recognizing one, where we came from. Like for me personally, like I didn't come from money, right? And wanting to be able to give back to others who are in the position that I may have been in when I was growing up, right? And so where do you find time for that? Or do you say, do you make a conscious decision to say, that's not something that I want to focus on? I'm always in the give back. One, whatever you do to other people has already been done to you. That's, that's period. Whether people want to believe me or not, you can fight me about it, whatever. You're not going to change my mind. It is what it is. It's already done to you. Please believe. Number two, I feel like you have a duty. Once you get to the point where you're stable, if you can teach someone else or share with someone else that has the desire, and you got to make sure it's people that have the desire to make the change or to make the transition, you're good to go. And the reason I say desire, sometimes we get frustrated because we are trying to force people to change that don't want to change. We're trying to help people that really don't want to be helped. And if you give your pearls to a swan, the swan is not going to recognize them as pearls. The swan is going to trample on the pearls and then turn around and charge and attack you, right? But you have to make sure that you're sowing on good ground, that we're not sowing seeds on stony ground. But for me personally, I do. That's how I ended up starting the late night business show. 
I kept seeing people getting hustled. I kept seeing people getting taken advantage of. People that looked like me who were literally, you know, going into their 401ks, tapping into their savings, working second jobs, trying to do everything right, right? Trying to invest in themselves, trying to create a better future, trying to break generational cycles, gain financial stability, trying to be happy and get paid to do things that they like to do. And they were getting taken advantage of. They were getting fleeced. Because when you get into the social media streets, especially when you get into the back end with ads like Facebook and Google, and you start getting into different analytics and social media marketing and interfaces and things, there's a lot of misinformation out there. There's a lot of new terms you have to learn, a lot of new softwares and tools and things like that. And there are people that are out there, they know you don't know what it is and they're going to take advantage of it, period. And so it's like everybody can do their part, right? So when I started doing the late night business show, I was like, I'm going to just get on and teach for free. I was already very good at what I was doing at the time. I was, I was, I thought I was doing really well. I mean, now I make crazy money, but back then I thought I was making crazy money. Right. I was, I was doing, you know, I thought I was doing, I'm like, yeah, I make about you know, 15, $20,000 a month. I'm lit in these streets. My big company is doing a, <laughs> doing a million a year. You know what I'm saying? I'm out here doing it big. Yes. Uh, I was, I, you know, I was doing, so I was doing six figures from the consultant. You know, I had a couple speaking engagements. I was probably doing about $25,000, $30,000 a year for speaking engagement. And then the event company was doing well. So, you know, I'm like, I'm lit. You know what I'm saying? I'm, I'm stable. Like, let, let me get out here and give the people the game. Let me, let me show them what it really is and how to really move. And I had no idea that late night business was going to take off the way that it did. It, it, it blew my mind. Being obedient to God will get you very far in life. And so, and I literally still do late night business. As busy as I am, I still at least, I'm, I purposely work. And sometimes it's hard for me to pull off, but I do it at least three times a week. I try and broadcast and teach and we teach in series. So like we just, we've been going through sales training and sales series over the past month. And we just finished a series last week on how you go from zero to $10,000 in under a week by creating your first digital product. And I show people how to package it how to do the website, how to put together the backlinks, how to make it automated, how to deliver it, how to market it, the whole shebang, right? So for me, that's my way of giving back. I also will have in between three to five free classes or courses available at any given time. And then, of course, you know, I'm always out doing workshops and training and teaching and all those other sorts of types of things. Then I also give away cash to my audience, especially when COVID started happening. I was like, people need cash. They can use it for ads. They can use it to buy groceries. They can go get lashes. They can do whatever they want to, you know, (laughs) do whatever you feel like. But I started giving cash giveaways. So during the month we gave away over, well, not we, I gave away over $10,000. I give away laptops. I do courses, tickets to events, all sorts of types of things. So I think it's a personal thing for everyone like how they want to give back. But but I do think it's important to give back and you cannot forget the people who, you know, are loving on you and who are supporting you. So for me in particular, anytime I'm giving away cash and laptops and things like that, I give it to my customers because I want to support people who have been supporting me. That's really important to me. And then, you know, I'm a part of the strategic boycott. So I'm one of the founding members for that. And so we're, you know, doing the mining, the research, paying to keep everything afloat, making sure we're keeping everybody in our community up to date, up to par, what's going on, right? So, you know, you find your ways, you find your ways and your things that you're passionate about. Can you say more about this strategic boycott? 
Oh gosh, don't get me started on that. Like, <laughs> I, I won't say, shut up. Okay, so first of all, for those of you that don't know, my bachelor's is in finance and I do have a master's in business. Okay. And I've been a small business owner for 14 years now. So I just want to put that out there so that you guys know I'm not just like a talking head. I do a lot of research and I've put a lot of time into this. And before the protest started, before the riot started, before George Floyd was murdered, this was something that I had already been sounding off my big trap about for years, which is another thing that motivated me to keep doing late night business. And so basically, when you look at Black Americans, and I, I do want to say this, I'm going to continue on, but I want to make sure that I make this clear. When I speak about Black Americans that deserve some type of reparation, some type of compensations, I'm talking about the descendants of slaves. I think it's very important that we identify, right? Because for me, I don't feel like it's fair for someone whose ancestors did not build this country. And we we didn't build it willingly. We were forced. We were murdered. We were beaten. We were brutalized. Families were stripped apart. Our communities were burned. There were massacres. There were wars. Our people were enslaved. There are a lot of Black people who are listening to this right now that think they came here through the Atlantic slave trade the transatlantic slave trade, excuse me, and you were here indigenous. Your people were indigenous to the actual, you know, continent of America. So, and and our, even our history for that has been erased, right? So someone who just got here voluntarily, who immigrated here, it's not the same thing as your people being stolen and brought to America or your people who are already here in America and they were pillaged and plundered and beaten and brutalized and being held captive and put into slavery and then forced to work and build the country and then to not be, you know, seen as a human and to be seen as property. And then even when we did pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, they would come through and tear us up economically. And then they use Jim Crow laws and the cornerstone laws. And y'all can go and look up what I'm saying. I'm, I'm not, I'm telling you, but I'm very passionate about this, okay? And I grew up in Little Rock, Arkansas. Well, I grew up in Scott, Arkansas, in the country on a farm, and I live in Little Rock now, where there's always been overt racism. But they use all of those things literally when there were affluent black neighborhoods, even after slavery, they went and they used those laws literally to come and take our neighborhoods and our property and our businesses based on eminent domain and they built freeways and they built parks and they built parking garages and they built subways and all sorts of types of things over our neighborhoods. So when someone who has not experienced those things, okay, comes in and tries to have a voice in the conversation, you should not be speaking because you don't know what you're speaking about. And your ancestors have not had to endure where our ancestors had to endure. And by default, you have not had to experience the things that we have had to experience because we're descendants of those slaves. Even when it breaks down to programs, there are programs in the United States for immigrants. There are programs in the United States for fugitives. There are not programs in the United States for Black Americans who are descendants of slaves. Even whenever it boils down to like, let's just take a, a small example. Let's say you want to open a business and you want a commercial space 
and you want to be in inside of the mall or you want to be inside of a really nice shopping center, right? We have two shopping centers here. One's called the Promenade. That's really, really nice. Pleasant Ridge is the other. They're really, really nice, super hoity-toity. If you are an immigrant, there are programs that will subsidize your commercial rent. So you're paying under $1,000 a month to be in a space that could cost anywhere from $4,000 to $10,000 a month. They're not programs designed. They're not, and you can look city by city. You can look city by city. This is all across America. They're not programs put in place for Black Americans like that. Redlining is real. There are things put in place, right? Even when we go to get mortgages, we have to show three times more documentation. Even if we're just as qualified, even if we have better credit scores, even if we have better job history, even if we make more income, because the powers that be, the decision makers, have a bias, a prejudice, or some of them are flat out racist. And that's inside of their minds. And they are gatekeepers and they are keeping us from being able to get financing for businesses, for mortgages, for right, for land acquisition and things of those nature, things of that nature. Then when you break it down even to business loans and capital. Black business owners in America are two times more likely to get denied for a business loan than a Caucasian American. And then when we are approved for a business loan, on average, our business line or our capital is at 25000 which we all know in here in the grand scheme of things with a business, that's nothing. Compared to the one hundred fifty to $225,000 on average in capital that is given to a Caucasian business owner. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, you're on point. I mean, this is so important to point out. But so that that's that's where all of this has been coming from with the strategic boycott. So when you look at all of those things and then you look at black Americans, we are the number one consumer group in America. Not creation, right? Because we don't we're not number one when it comes to ownership, even with our black owned businesses that are around. We average about $915,000 a year in revenue compared to about $2.3 million of a Caucasian business owner. Mm. Let that, let that wow. sink in, right? And part of that is why? Because we can't get the capital. If you don't get the capital, it's harder for you to build your team. It's harder for you to build your own building or your own warehouse, right? It's harder for you to get the initial funding to be able to pick up a government contract because the government does not pay up front. They pay after. Mm. So I've been able, like, for instance, one of my clients here is UAMS and it's, it's a state hospital and I do events for them. I can handle that contract because I have to expel thousands of dollars to do those events, right? To pay the subcontractors, to pay the labor, the venue, the food, the caterers, whatever is coming in. And then they pay me back after the event. If I did not have capital, which a lot of black business owners are in the position, they don't have the capital, they can't get the loan. How can you pick up that contract? Mm-hmm. You, do y'all see? I'm just, I'm just trying to paint the pictures yeah. for the listeners yeah. so that way they can understand like how deep this problem is. But yet we're the number one consumers. So we're spending, 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 spending. So the strategic boycott is designed to help us understand our power in spending. And start to put pressure on these large corporations who are funding racist politicians, racist lobbyists, who are funding and supporting anti-black laws and agendas to say, if my dollar matters to you, my life should matter to you. And if you don't want to put a value on my life, I'm going to pull my dollar from you. 
and you're going to listen to me now. Black people do not realize right now that if we all stopped spending for four weeks, if we got prepared in our homes and we stopped spending for four weeks, we would shut the economy down. We're the number one group of consumer spending. Over 1.2 trillion. And that's a conservative estimate. So our goal is not to, you know, try and hurt anybody or harm anybody, right? But we have been researching companies and we have been looking at the agendas and the politicians and the laws that these companies support. And so then we started going and pulling the numbers to see how much money we're spending with these different organizations. So fun fact, the number one consumer of dried grain, of grains and dried vegetables in the United States are black people, right? Who's a big producer of that? Quaker. Who owns Quaker? Pepsi owns Quaker. Pepsi also is affiliated with Yum Brands, right? Yum Foods, that's KFC, Taco Bell and Pizza Hut. Long John Silver's used to be in there, but something happened and they not in there. Okay. Right. Mm-hmm. So you're now you're creating ads and products and you're targeting them towards our community. Right. But on the back end, you're donating money to people who have very strong anti-black agendas mm. and who support police brutality against us, who support criminalization, who support harsher prison sentences for us, right? Who a, a, a man who sat up there and called Colin Kaepernick a SOB for a peaceful protest, but then mm-hmm. turned around and called extreme Nazis and said that there were good people. Mm. You, you know what I mean? So like yes. we can say, hey, is it like we don't want some bogus statement that you've written down. We don't want some, some some symbolic action of you retiring Aunt your mama and Uncle Ben. Yeah, that's a good start. But what <laughs> we want is some real change. As a matter of fact, did you go back and actually pay the man that posed for the picture of Uncle Ben? Did you really go back and pay him? Because initially right. they didn't pay him. His family should be eating off of that. That should be generational wealth because that brand makes you millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars. Right. right. So I'm sorry, let me circumvent back to Quaker. So when we get to Quaker, but of course, black people, we're number one consumer of grains and dried vegetables. On Quaker grits alone, does not counting oatmeal, chewy bars, life cereal, any of that other stuff from Quaker, just on grits. We spent, ni- black people spent $19 million on grits. What? I can believe it. I love me some grits. I believe it. Right? <laughs> I come downstairs, girl. <laughs> I talked to 165 black people. I asked all of them to go in their cabinet and see if there were some grits or some oatmeal. Every single one of us said yes. Wow. So that's why we started with Pepsi. With KFC, we spend the most on average at KFC. We spend an average of $16 per transaction at KFC. Mm. Tell your mamas, your uncles, your grandparents, stop eating KFC. (laughs) Right? (laughs) So we can boycott these organizations. Now we can we can have effective change because now last week they started hitting us all up individually saying, we stand with you. Right. And then the next day they announced, well, about two days later, they announced they're going to retire Aunt your mama and uncle Ben. Again, that's great. That's a great symbolic action, but we want a real action. How about you come into the community and you build centers that have technology updates every three years and you do STEM and you do robotics education and language and financial literacy for the kids and and we have community gardens. Yes. How about about y'all stop funding these racist politicians? How about you take a public stance against them? 
How about you work with us on reforming the police and destabilizing their union and making it a law where all of a sudden they're not allowed to have immunity, right? And when they commit criminal acts, they have criminal liability. They have jail time. They stop getting paid vacation for murdering us. How about they have to have annual mental evaluations? How about there has to be annual humanization training and they have to interact with the communities that they're policing? How about y'all do more recruitment of people of the community to be the police there? How about we cut down some of these asinine budgets that the police have? Some of the police's budgets for their city, they get over 50% of the city budget goes to the police department. It's not pumped into education, it's not pumped into schools, it's pumped into criminalizing us, right? Because they got to protect the good white people from all all of the big, bad, boogly-woogly people, right? Which is a bunch of crap. Because in actuality, they are violent and hostile, and they try and paint us as violent and hostile. Mm -hmm. So that's what the strategic boycott is all about. And we, every week we send out an email and we send a cute little text message to let people know these are the stats for this week. This is why we're boycotting this company. We keep them up to date about some of the current events that are happening so people can stay energized. We remind people that they need to vote not only in the national elections, but in their local elections, specifically for your judges, for your attorney generals, right? And for your prosecuting attorneys. So if you got a cousin, you got a homeboy and they got an unfair rap or unfair sentence, you need to remember because you didn't vote for those judges. Mm-hmm. Right. You you chose not to vote for the judges. And that's why your cousin, your mama, your daddy, you know, everybody is able to be harassed and be thrown in the pen for these ridiculous sentences for nonviolent offenses. And then you have white people who commit violent crimes like murder and rape and, you know, child molestation and things like that. And they're in and out in six months. Cool. There's a lot that needs to change inside of the system. Yes. So the boycott is literally all about looking at our dollars and you work one company at a time. So we have a great impact. It's not a wise decision to get out there and just be like, Oh, I'm a boycott. Everything is not owned by black people. Unfortunately, right now there's not enough black ownership in the nation. There's not a black grocery chain or even a black grocery store in every neighborhood. There's not mm-hmm. a black family that owns a large, you know, farm, right. To supply the food to the stores. There's not Black ownership in the in the transportation and in the shipping side. There's not black ownership in the infrastructure as far as gas stations. So and and on top of that, all white people aren't racist, right? All white people aren't racist. So you know, is is if we can localize and focus and go company by company, product by product, and they see those numbers plummeting, and we're all as a collective, you know, always adding and using our hashtags and talking about Black Dollar, Black Lives, you know, and you're adding Pepsi, you're adding Quaker, you're adding Taco Bell, you're adding KFC. They're going to speak and other companies are going to see what we're doing. And guess what? They're not going to want the same fate. And so they're going to be willing to work with us. And that's how we get real change. So that's what the strategic boycott. And anybody that's listening, you can text B-L-A-C-K-D-O-L-L-A-R, smash it together to 21,000. That'll get you text updates and you can go to blackdollarblacklives.com. You can see a list of our initiatives and our current goals. You can see the founding members and you'll see us put up like little regular weekly blurbs. We try and tap into anybody that's doing any type of funding 
for black business owners and entrepreneurs. We try and put up constant lists of important petitions. We have a whole list of different directories and apps where you can find black restaurants that you can eat at so you can go and support them. We, we try and do everything that we can in our power, you know, to be able to help us all make more positive decisions and shift our behaviors and be more informed. I have five words. Protect Ashley at all costs. Okay. This is why they call her King Ashley Ann. That was so much game. I can't wait to listen to this episode my damn self. Okay. And now I know you on the other end going crazy too. We're like, girl, I got my black fist up. I'm just over here shouting. I mean, I just, oh my gosh. So Ashley, what we want to do real quick, we want to change up the energy of the interview as we close out. And Because we recognize, appreciate, and celebrate the multifaceted woman, and we believe that it's okay to be classy and ratchet, and you can still be elegant and dance to strip club music, we want to invite you to, okay, the OU Clatchet segment. So do you take on the challenge? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Is that even though I love the Lord, okay, even though I'm educated, even though I'm pro-black, honey, your girl is a closet twerker, okay? I'm here for it. Yes, that's what we like to hear. So we're going to dive right into our first question for you. What topic can you talk about all day? All day? Ooh, I'm a nerd. I really love gardening and flowers. Wow. I can do that. I, I, I economics, gardening and flowers. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Wasn't expecting that. And I appreciate how that <laughs> yes. you are a multi woman. I love it. Okay. If anybody ever looks at my Instagram stories, they will always see me putting up pictures of my garden. I need to put up some videos of my tomatoes tonight. <laughs> yes. I am with it. So you kind of already answered this question, but I'm going to ask it again, just so that we can be clear on what we heard. Twerk or two-step? Oh, I'm twerk all day long. Unless, <laughs> unless, unless my daddy is around and I'm probably going to hit you with a two-step. <laughs> I love it. That sounds about right, girl. Now, <laughs> Ashley, what song gets you on the dance floor at the club or party? Oh, I don't. Oh, that's a hard one because I like so much music. Like I listen to a lot of like pop rap, a lot of ratchet rap, a lot of hip hop. I almost any line dance. I know I'm not gonna say I know all line dances, but I know a lot of line dances. Any type of stripper anthem, I'm here for it. I ain't gonna lie. it's hard it's hard and then even some old school stuff like like wipe me down or something like that or anything like or something like that yeah I like all of this this. (laughs) okay okay we're here for it and our final question since you mentioned strip club anthems what would be your stripper name let me think about it. It's going to have to have something to do with money. I know that. <laughs> <laughs> I would probably be the million dollar mama. Oh. <laughs> Coming to the stage, the million dollar mama. I love it. Million dollar mommy. I'll be the million dollar there we mama. Go. Ashley, we just want to thank you. This was an incredible interview. Thank you so much for the work that you do in the community. Thank you for your gems. Thank you for your insight. Thank you for just being unapologetically you because you really free other people 
to just be themselves. And yeah. so we appreciate you. We thank you, lady. We know that you love this interview too. So go follow Ashley. We'll add her links in the show notes. This was incredible. Girl, thank you so much. Thank y'all so much for having me. For any of the ladies listening, I do free trainings. I try to at least three times a week. So if you text the word coins to 313131, you'll get a cute little text message. Push the link. It will give you access to free social media ideas. We also send free email and marketing ideas. We do free content and things like that. And then I also will text you a little notification of when I'm live streaming and what we're streaming about. So if it's something that can help your business, you can come right on over, you know, and kick it with us in the kingdom. Thanks for joining us today in Her Space. Please note that our show may contain conversations about self-help, advice, self-empowerment, and mental health. But it is by no means meant to be a substitute for an ongoing formal relationship with a trained mental health provider. If you or someone you know is in need of mental health care, please visit the Therapy for Black Girls directory, Psychology Today, or contact your insurance provider. If you liked what you heard and want to keep the conversation going, connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at HerSpacePodcast or check out our website at herspacepodcast.com. And before we meet again, repeat after me. I am not limited by any past thinking. I choose my thoughts with care. We'll see you next week, ladies.